This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. On the next Back to You podcast with me, Howard Sudbury, and my longtime friend and co-host Steve Baskerville, you will hear Steve's personal and emotional stories about growing up as a black man in America. His message is powerful and hopeful. There will never be a more important episode of Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to You, an OPI show, only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and you're listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And Lou, we find ourselves together once again, and uh, luckily... And not to uh, jinx anything, uh, you know, we always want to talk about what goes on in our real world uh, car-wise. And luckily, after having the um, uh, heater core replaced on the uh, 92 Corvette that I have, I have not had any other uh, issues with any of my cars, which is uh, something that uh, is good and hopefully it'll continue because you just never know when you've got, you know, collector vehicles as they start to age, as they start to, uh, you know, just get older, even though you're driving them on a, you know, a reasonably, uh, you know, uh, regular basis. By that, I mean, you know, maybe once a month or once every three weeks or something like that to just keep everything exercised and everything. Everything is uh, copacetic, as they say, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I wanted to talk about a couple more cars that I saw uh, during some of my spring drive times lately. How do you feel about replica cars, uh, Lou, like kit cars or there, there's there's two kinds. There's like there, there'd be like what you would call a kit car. I don't know if you remember. Do you ever remember the Bradley GT back in the early 70s? Do you remember what that? Yeah, it looks a little bit like a uh, Brickland. Yeah. And it was it was a kit car that you would build on a Volkswagen chassis. Yeah. So your question. Go ahead. Yeah, you have you have a car like that. That's a kit car. And then you have a replica, which is a car that is a kit, usually a kit, but it's not, you know, it looks like a Mercedes Benz, but it's not a Mercedes. So that's that that would be what I would consider to be a replica or like even like the Cobras are replicas, but they're high end replicas. They're well they're well executed replicas. Um, yeah. Well, you you have um, Superformance or Factory 5 who builds the Cobras yeah. and. Uh, the sad part is they do it so well <laughs> that your first and natural reaction whenever you see a cobra is is it real or is exactly it not? exactly I mean you don't even your mind doesn't even go there and I'll use a different car as an example real quick when you were you and I were growing up we would occasionally see a GTO and we would see it in the distance and we would think is it a Le Mans? Is it a Tempest yeah. or is it a GTO? Yeah. And when we saw it was a GTO, there was a little more adrenaline in our bodies just seeing it. Um, similar to what my son experiences when he sees a Challenger driving up. Is it a Challenger? Is it a Hellcat? Is it a Demon? 
and based on which one it is, then he gets a little more excited or not excited. Uh, going back to the kit car, though, the Bradley, the challenge with the Bradleys versus the Bricklin is the Bricklins were designed right where the wheelbase looked right, and the wheels were all the way to the corners. The Bradley always looked like the wheels were underneath it, so it looked <laughs> like a pedal car. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, it had kind of an odd... Uh, the way the the body sides would come over the wheels, it didn't look like it was integrated that well, I guess, is, is, is the easiest way to say it, and partly because it was designed to be put on a Volkswagen chassis, so you've got the constraints there, basically. You, you unbolt the, the bug body, and you put this fiberglass thing on there. And I haven't seen a, a Bradley GT in years. I mean, they used to be fairly prevalent back in the day but i haven't seen one in in a long long time and i haven't seen a bricklin i mean a bricklin was not a kit car but i haven't seen a bricklin in ages either um and it seems like there's been some interest lately collector interest in bricklins um i don't think bradley gts have much (laughs) collector interest but the long way around this thing lou the reason i brought this up is one of the cars i saw on my drive i believe it was a MGTD replica because I know that they, I'm pretty sure they make replicas of the MGTDs. And it just, sometimes you look at a replica and you're thinking this isn't the real thing. It just has, you know, it has like the updated side marker lights that you can tell are taken off of a, you know, some common vehicle and the headlights look different, although the general body shape is there. And that just kind of had me thinking like, you know, what do I think about replicas and, and kit cars and things like that? And, you know, for the longest time when I was in junior high, the, the Shelby Cobra, you know, the AC Cobra Shelby 427, that was like my ultimate car. And that's back, you know, 40 some years ago when you could still get them for a affordable price. But now I don't know if I'd really want to own a Shelby Cobra because of the replicas out there. Because like you said, every time you see it, you see one, you don't know if it's the real thing or if it's a replica. And to me, well, that just kind of dilutes the, the lure of, of owning one, the real thing. You know, there, there's when I think kit cars, there was um, first of all regarding the Shelby. Yeah, it, it's it's distracting, and, and positively with Superformance or Factory Five, they do such a great job of the replication that you, you almost think, well, why would I want to spend all that money? Yeah. But you can spend a lot on a replica. I mean, the the like a Factory Five or whatever. I mean, you can spend upper five to low six figures on those cars, I believe. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, based on what you want and the options, I mean, uh, you know, so let's just say you spend $100,000 on a replica. Yeah. Well, when the real thing costs a million dollars, Yeah. you know, I mean, and it's driving just as well, maybe even better because it's got a, maybe a little bit newer technology, you know, and I get it. I mean, I understand why people want the original. Who, who doesn't want the original? So, I mean, um, that's kind of a unique, quote-unquote, kit car, because that's almost not in the category of kit car. No, I wouldn't call it a kit car. I wouldn't call it. I yeah. wouldn't really even call it a replica. I don't know what... I don't know if you would call it a, a an homage or a, a tribute or I'm not exactly sure how you would slot that because it's it's not a kit car though because you're not putting them together yourself you're buying them completed right or 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 do they ship them in parts then yeah, you still no, have to have them assembled they're, no they're they're completely you know done yeah. I mean for example um, and they do a great job I mean not a good job I mean oh I've seen them yeah they're fantastic. 
Yeah. So, you know, the, the challenge though is, and I'll give you an example. So let's say you go back to 1963, 65, and you get, you know, that faded, you know, semi-cracked paint, you know, natural road chips in your car for, I don't know what they sell for a million, two million, whatever. Let's just pick a number of million. And now you've got something that is, you know, mirror finished, (laughs) absolutely perfect, probably more padding in the seats than you'll need because you don't want the original seat from 65 because you'll sit right through a a seat spring that shoots up through your rear end. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I mean, it's hard not to sometimes want to choose the replica and then say, well, you know, if it, if I get caught in the rain with the replica, who cares? Yeah. You know, versus if you, you know, all of a sudden you, you're, you're doing weather reports and you're, you know, you, you're, you're gauging everything else. And, um, you know, if something breaks, where do I find an original part for this thing versus if something breaks in the super performance? I mean, even if you pulled the engine out and put it the same, you know, engine back in, nobody would really care. You're not destroying originality and, Things like that, right. yeah. Right. So, no, you make some good points. I just don't know if I'd ever go to that that length and want to spend that kind of money on something that isn't the real thing. That that's all I'm saying. But I know what you're yeah. saying. I can totally and and I've talked to people, you know, that have these cars, and I have seen a couple of crappy Shelby Cobra replicas too. I don't know who who manufactured those, but I've seen a couple of them that just they weren't right. You could tell right away, but I've seen the factory fives and things like that and they're awesome. And I do the exact same thing that you do is every time you see one of those, you're 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 thinking to yourself, okay, is that the real thing or not? Because I've seen the real thing too. And you kind of know the real thing in a way, but nowadays the lines have been blurred so much that it's really kind of hard to tell. Well, let's go back to the GTO analogy. So when you see a GTO, uh, and let me define that for a second. When you see a GTO from 1964 through 1971, and you see that it's not a Tempest or a Le Mans, um, you get excited. Well, the only way to get excited about a, and this is such a unique, I think it's only with the Cobra, is you have to basically pop the hood and look at the little stamp to see if it's CSX 2000 mm-hmm. or 3000 series, because even the Shelby themselves made them in 4000 series in like the year 2000. Yeah, the continuation models they did. Yeah, and and those were, as far as all everybody's concerned, an identical issue to what it was before. Yeah. And again, maybe some updated parts and, and things like that. So maybe an updated ignition, I'm not sure exactly. But um, anyway, I mean... Yeah, it's always exciting to pop the hood and they say, look at the VIN number. Yeah, and you go, oh, then you get that excitement again. <laughs> but when you open the hood and you don't see that, you get a disappointment. Yeah. You know, I remember there was a show called Hee Haw. I remember Hee Haw, yeah. And they'd have the girl and she'd be beautiful and then she'd smile and she'd have the tooth yeah. thing or, you know, the, the blackened out <laughs> tooth. You know, making you think, wow, you know, here she is. You get all excited because she's so beautiful and she's in this, you know, little outfit. And then she smiles and you're like, ah. Only kind of like that same feeling with the Cobras. Only on the Car Guys Report would we be talking about Shelby Cobras and and Factory 5 replicas and somehow transition to Hee Haw. (laughs) Yeah, that's... 
That's why I'm on the that, show. Exactly, exactly. Hee-haw. I remember that show. I never watched it, really, but I do remember it. Roy, uh, Roy Clark was on there, I believe. He was one of the, yeah. the mainstays. And I, I do know, I do remember the the uh, blonde-haired, uh, jeans-wearing uh, lady that you were talking about, too. So or, or the hot brunettes. I mean, they yeah. were all hotty-totties, and then all of a sudden they'd show you the black in yeah. the tooth, and you'd be like, oh, jeez. So moving on from replicas, um, the uh, MGTD replica I saw, I saw a, a run of the mill, but but nicely nicely preserved uh, 1950 Ford pickup. You can never go wrong with those. And then two cars, one car that you'll definitely dig. Um, I'll say that for the last. I saw a 19, and, and I'm not really good. I've said this before on the program. I'm not really good on their, on my like pre-1930 cars. I can never like knock down the exact date and things like that but a 1920s uh, Chevy four-door sedan in black and uh, a 69 light blue Olds 442 which is definitely up blues alley there you can never go wrong with seeing one of those on the road and that's some of the stuff that uh, I've seen recently driving around and you know there's one thing too Lou that what, wait, wait, wait. What, what year was that 442 I think it was a 69 does that make sense yeah, no, sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. And um, one thing that I like is, I mean, it's one thing to see a car parked, but when you actually see it in motion, I think that it adds an extra degree of something uh, when you actually see a car, especially a collector car, a unique car, actually in motion and being driven because you know that it's being not only, you know, that it's being used and things like that, but there's just something about seeing it. Uh, in motion, I think, and that's why I always enjoy when I'm out and about seeing uh, the interesting things that uh, that I can see on the road. It's all part of uh, being a car guy, and that's what we do here on the Car Guys Report. If you like uh, what we're doing here, and we hope that you do, be sure to tell a friend or a couple of friends about the Car Guys Report. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter. And of course, your email uh, inbox is open 24-7. Car Guys Report at Hotmail.com is the best way to reach us. And please send us your comments, your suggestions, your rants, your raves, anything you want at CarGuysReport at Hotmail.com. You know, uh, Lou, I, as I get older, I probably start speaking. Spending a little more time looking at consumer reports. I've always been the kind that, you know, I don't really need to see what they recommend. I'm just going to do my own research and pick the thing that I want to pick. And if it's good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's bad. But every now and then, they'll throw out one of these quizzes. And this appeared recently online uh, from Consumer Reports. What kind of a driver are you? And they had one of these quiz things where it's like, you know, do you prefer to take the highway uh, or do you prefer to take the twisty road or do you prefer to take the scenic route or, um, you know, questions like that um, to try to determine in five different categories what kind of driver you could be. And the, and the categories were performance driver, defensive driver, rough and tumble driver, power driver and zen driver and what they did is after the there was only like i don't know maybe six or eight questions to this thing and then it comes up with a um, selection of cars depending on which driver the quiz said that you would be so i did it and i came out as a performance driver which is actually pretty close i'd either be performance or power driver although i don't really agree too much with the cars that they recommended for me as a performance driver because 
to me, they're just not anything that would be in my wheelhouse. They're all 2020 models. The new Toyota Supra, which does absolutely nothing for me from a visual standpoint. I think that's a really ugly car. That's the... Well, hold on. Yeah, okay. Go go ahead. I don't like that car at all. Hold on a minute. Um, before you, you hammer down on the Supra, which is fine. <laughs> you're, you're obviously entitled to your choices, and I'm all in favor of that. Uh, I, you know, not everybody likes every car. There are different. I think one of the things that that's disappointing in that car is some of the optional spoilers. I think the regular spoiler doesn't do the back end justice. But if you've seen some spoilers that are a little wider or a little taller, it all of a sudden brings a little bit of that car's. Uh, back end to life. The front end, I don't mind at all. I just, the well, maybe the, t- the side view is weird. I, there's, to me, there's no cohesion on that car. It just looks too, too radical. You know, I mean, I know they make a, you know, BMW version of it too, because BMW is the, the company that's actually building the things, but um, it just looks too radical Japanese styled, you know, we're, we're doing this thing because we want to make it look cool, but it just, it doesn't work for me. And I've seen them in red. I've seen them in black. Uh, you know, I've walked around them. I've taken a pretty good look at them in person, and I was hoping that when I would see it in person, that I would have actually liked it after seeing the pictures in the magazines, which I didn't care for. But it just doesn't translate to me at all. So that was one of the cars in the performance driver category. The other three that they threw at me uh, from Consumer Reports was the Hyundai Veloster, which is this kind of oddball three-door car where it's got uh, a, a, a door on the driver's side, then it's got a passenger door, and then kind of a little, like, barn door that opens up. And it's just kind of trying to be, you know, a performance hatchback with that weird three-door design, and that one doesn't do anything for me. The Mazda CX-5 crossover, if I was going to per- pick a performance crossover car, it certainly wouldn't be the Mazda CX-5. It would be like a Porsche Macan. And then the Miata, which actually doesn't really does nothing for me either so (laughs) i'm a performance driver damn it give me a car that i can drive but the uh, other cars that they they recommend for the the various um categories the defensive driver that's safe and slow would be the new kia telluride suv which has been getting just absolute knock it out of the park reviews in every single um magazine and article i've i've read about that vehicle everyone loves that thing the subaru forester and outback i can definitely see being defensive drivers and of course this one is a no-brainer the camry um i got a a good friend of mine who i would consider to be a defensive driver and that's what he drives (laughs) he's actually on the second one so there you go the rough and tumble driver lou uh the jeep wrangler the ford f-150 pickup the subaru cross track which is their smaller um kind of uh suv sort of wagon and the toyota forerunner which is a great vehicle actually i can see a toyota forerunner out the uh the picture window here at the um, car guys report warehouse and uh, definitely have some fans that uh work around the the studio here that that drive one of those the power driver i think that's what you are lou you're a power driver because they pick the mustang the dodge charger and the tesla model 3 or model s uh, as that goes. And then the Zen driver, you know, <laughs> Toyota Avalon, which I'm not exactly sure how that fits in there. The Genesis. It's got to be, be a Tesla. The no, it's it's the, the Genesis G80, which is kind of a uh, 
you know, that's a semi-performance vehicle for what it is. I mean, it's more of a sports sedan than a than a uh, a Zen type vehicle. The Lexus ES, I, I would put the uh, LS. 500 or whatever it is now the ls460 or 500 whatever it is i would put that in there too and then the lincoln continental they put in there too so those are kind of like the old man old fogey cars i guess but it's just interesting when i do these these surveys i I don't do them that often but uh, i just like to see how accurate they are because i would consider myself to be pretty much a performance and or a power type driver um but I just didn't think much of their uh, recommended cars. If they were going to recommend four cars for me as a performance driver, I would think they should have the Porsche 911. They should have some sort of Mercedes AMG on there, maybe the GTR uh, that we talked about in the last episode. Uh, crossover, like I said, would be like a Macan Turbo or a Cayenne. And uh, for a small sports car, uh, I don't know. The Miata just doesn't doesn't do anything for me. I don't like the way they restyled it uh, recently either. So just wanted to throw that out there. And also, um seems like every episode, not on purpose, but we uh, always talk about something to do with the electric vehicle market. Although, Lou, this is a little bit different. And being an IT professional that you are, you will probably find some interest in this one. Uh, this came out in the uh, news a month or two ago, and I'm not sure how it's all going to play out because we've heard about this kind of thing happening in other industries, too, that Tesla is reportedly removing paid-for features after a used car sale. This comes from uh, Jalopnik, which is a uh, online um, automotive uh, source, a reputable source. Uh, what people uh, have been doing or encountering lately is if you're buying a used Tesla, some of the uh, software features that were uh, on the car with the previous owner are being disabled for the used car purchaser via their on-air updates. Uh, and Tesla is doing this. And they're, not, they're doing it without really, like, notifying the, the, the buyer. And really, and the buyer goes in buying this car thinking, hey, I'm getting autopilot or whatever. And then they buy the car. Tesla disables that feature because they supposedly, quote, unquote, didn't pay for it or something like that. Basically, what this boils down to, and I'll read this word for word, it says, it started last month with the story on a man named Alec who bought a 2017 Tesla Model S from a used car dealer last December. The dealer bought the car directly from Tesla at an auction in late November uh, 2019. At the time of the auction sale, the Tesla S had enhanced autopilot and full self-driving capability options installed, which the original owner had paid a combined $8,000 for, as listed on the Moroni sticker, which is the, uh, the window sticker that Tesla gave the dealer. Uh, Tesla ran an audit of its software in its vehicles, including this Model S that was owned by the dealership, and they removed the enhanced autopilot function. The automaker did not inform the dealer of the changes to the Model S, so the dealer sold the sedan to the buyer, Alec, uh, in December of 2019, believing the car contained what was on the Moroni sticker, but it didn't. So that kind of is a interesting situation. Of course, you know, once this hit the press, 
Tesla was saying that um, they apologized because there was a miscommunication, um, things like that. But then they were saying that follow-up pieces and posts on Tesla forums show other buyers suffering the same thing. Uh, for example, somebody bought a P100D uh, Model S with a $20,000 ludicrous mode and only to have Tesla remove the ludicrous mode after the sale following another audit. And a Tesla rep told the man he didn't pay for the option. I mean, what does that mean, Lou? Because if you're buying a car, a used car, aren't you buying everything that, that's supposed to be on there as it was delivered from the factory, even if it's software? I mean, I don't know how that would... I mean, as an IT guy and as a car guy, where do you fall on that? Yeah, um, let's clarify one thing. I, I own an IT company, which means I can barely turn on a computer. <laughs> so I, I, people around me need to know how to do that. So, but I just like calling you an IT guy because it makes you sound really yeah. important. Yeah, right, or, or polished, and probably neither one of those are accurate. But let's go back to the question. So um, the first thing that, that comes to my mind as you're reading this article is my mouth is open because I'm stunned that a company would say, hey, you know, of course you bought a car that's a convertible, but we're going to put a hard top on yeah. it. What, what, what? You know, I mean, uh, we know you bought uh, with the leather seats, but we found this nice vinyl material that I think well, you'll like better. Now, what is that even talking about? I mean, how, how can you even... And, and, and the thing that got me with the open mouth most, most was because it was at a Tesla auction. Yeah. So, so they're the ones so selling it. it. Yeah, if you're telling me, okay, Tesla does this to, you know, that there's an upgrade, let's say, you know, for example, uh, let's just say that I go to Jim's uh, auto sales, whoever that is, and I stop at his place and I say, yeah, I need a new, um, I'm picking this, I need a new Cadillac Escalade. And you then find out the navigation system isn't the most current version, and you call up Cadillac and they say, well, you know, you'll have to purchase that because you're not the original owner. I can understand that. Yeah. But when you're at Tesla and you're buying a Tesla and they say, we're going to disassemble some of the features that you've had because you're not the original owner, that's insanity. Yeah, it says here, uh, Tesla appears to be treating certain optional software as non-transferable. It says some automakers have spoken of a future where they will upgrade or decontent vehicles after the sale to suit dealer or buyer preferences. That's talking in the future somewhere. But the problem with what Tesla is supposedly doing as a company is that they have not made its software stance clear. And even Tesla reps at call centers and service centers don't know what's going on. So it seems like they're kind of like picking and choosing just randomly what they decide to do. And that I think it hurts them from two, two ways because, A, Tesla is a leader in the self-driving, automated driving uh, features of, of a, uh, as a car maker. And a lot of people are wanting to buy a Tesla because of those features, whether you buy it new or used. And if you buy it used thinking you're going to get that and they take it away from you, how is that going to build any brand loyalty or any, any kind of goodwill with you? And B, you're still paying. It's not like you're getting this thing like for pennies on the dollar. I mean, used Teslas depreciate fairly heavily, but you're still probably, if you're buying a Tesla Model S used a couple years old, you're still probably going to be paying 50 grand for it. 40 or 50 grand you're not it's not chump change so it's and and they're also a leader in this whole on-air over-the-air updates in your car which is a great feature because it prevents people um from having to go to a, a dealer to get their car serviced in essence because teslas are more or less for 
practical purposes, they're just basically rolling computers that are very software centric. But I think they're a leader in that. But then they're also using this to to, you know, take stuff away. And I don't know how this would 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 how it's going to play out, I guess, is the way. You know, they're definitely getting some negative press. I haven't read any more since then. This came out a couple of months ago. But I was just kind of really surprised by it because it's like, come on. I mean, don't you want to have your best foot forward with a used car out there when somebody's buying it to to show that, you know, your car, even as a second owner, you're not buying the car new, that our cars are still good and, and they have these features and one of the reasons you want to do it, buy this car used, is because you want to save some money, but you wanted to get the features that you thought you were getting. Yeah, I mean, I don't even... I think we need to move on on that one. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I just... You know, my title was it was Tesla, Tesla gets testy about their cars. And <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I mean, that just doesn't even seem... When you... I don't, I don't see the... You know, you're you're not helping your your own reputation. You're not helping your buyer. You're not going to get any positive feedback from that. There's no way someone's going to go, well, yeah, I bought a Tesla, and hey, you know what? They took some features away from me. Yeah, I mean, there's just uh, um, there's there's no there's no winning in that situation. I there's guess no winning. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a lose lose. The consumer loses. The company loses. Yeah, and um, uh, that's just bad press. So I I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe there's something you and I are missing, but uh, um, I don't know. That just seems poor. It does, yeah. And and if we ever you know hear any more about that at some point, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it here and there. But I did just want to bring that up because I thought it was was pretty interesting. Or, or if there's a Tesla owner, what's that uh, email <laughs> that they can send to us? Car guys report at hotmail dot com. We're going to take a quick break here on the Car Guys Report, and we'll be right back. Hey, and friends here, and I think you should listen to us. Why is that? Well, personally, I like dragging us down rabbit holes that have little to do with the conversation at hand. Yeah, you do that all the time. I think you're a professional at it. I'd like to be. I think that's my ideal job. Just to be the tangent man. How do you guys feel about peeing on a bus? <laughs> all that on And Friends, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radio Misfits.com. I'm Howard Sudbury, and I co-host the Back to You podcast with my longtime friend, Steve Basterville. Hey, it's Mark Vernon from the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Your Tuesdays just got better. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, with Mark Vernon and Lou Costable is on the move. New episodes of this great podcast will be released on Tuesdays. And our good friends Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville and their podcast, Back to You, will now be available on Thursdays. So check out Mark and Lou with the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, on Tuesdays. And back to you on Thursdays. Both are a Tony Lasano podcast and Opi Show Productions on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. We're at the point in the program where we like to talk about a car that was either bought or sold or listed online recently. And, of course, um, don't always... uh, look at bring a trailer we look at hemmings and a bunch of other uh places online too but hemmings and bring a trailer are always two great go-to places if you're looking for uh cool used cars 
collector cars, European cars, special interest cars, whatever, uh, those two places are great places to start to at least get a feel for the market and what, what certain models and makes are going for. This one, Lou, came from uh, Bring a Trailer once again, uh, sold recently on that auction site. It was a, a 1996 Dodge Stealth RT, which is the same car as the Mitsubishi 3000 GT. And... Um, this one was pretty clean. It wasn't a, a high zoot model. This was just front wheel drive. It was not all wheel drive. It had the uh, naturally aspirated three liter double overhead cam V6 in it, which is a good engine. Four speed automatic transmission showing 40,000 miles. Uh, white with a tan interior, so nothing real flashy, but a good-looking car. I mean, that, that car is really kind of held up pretty well. And it actually has, looking at it as I'm, I'm, I'm talking here, it has a little bit of my Corvette C4 lines to it, just a little bit. Um, but it was a clean car, f- and I said fairly well bought. It was supposedly only one of 115 RTs that were sold for 96, so... It, Rarity in a car like this doesn't mean that much, but it sold for fifty one hundred bucks, and I think that's a pretty good, uh, a pretty good deal for the buyer because this is a car that it's a Japanese car, it's going to be reliable, it's cool. People have forgotten about these things, although they they have been picking up in the collector interest lately. But the run of the mill people outside on the streets wouldn't remember what this car is, and they would think it's really cool because it's got covered headlights and it's got a spoiler on the back, and it almost kind of looks a little bit too like the the uh, after the F body uh, Camaros ended and they brought out. I, I'm not sure what designation that that generation was it has a little bit of a camaro firebird look to it as well uh but for 5100 bucks for a for a 1996 dodge stealth rt i think is a uh, pretty good deal and that's some of the stuff that you can see on um bring a trailer now i know i've asked you this before lou because i always it's a, a natural uh segue hey you've had 3000 gts on the channel before right on your youtube channel Mitsubishi, 3, yeah, the Mitsubishi 3000 GT or or something like the the Dodge Stealth that I just talked about. Have you ever done one of those, like the VR4? It was a 3000 yeah. GT VR4? Um, That's a great let, car. Let me let me mention something. So the Stealth, uh, and I'm punching it up as we're speaking, just to confirm it. Yeah, I've got a 92 Dodge Stealth um, RT all-wheel drive. Yeah, that's one of the options. The V6 twin turbo. Yeah, now, that's a great car. So, so pausing for a second, I don't have a Mitsubishi 3000 on the channel. You and know, the reason okay. why is because this is 1,500 cars because you can't find a good one. Yeah. I mean, they're just, like, not out there. And, and it's kind of interesting because back in when you purchased this car in the 90s, whether it was a Stealth or was it, whether it was a Mitsubishi, uh, and they do have different looks to them. Um, so I, although they... Slightly. They, not a lot, though. I mean... If you see more one, than, more than you, more than you'd think. I mean, granted, the body style is similar. I'm not disagreeing with you, but if you actually look at them side by side, you'd see the differences. And the Mitsubishi 3000, um, you know, it's just uh, uh, both those cars were relatively cool when they came out. Oh yeah. And yet, I think the Mitsubishi actually had a little more coolness to it than the Stealth. For some reason, I don't know why. Well, it came in that orange color. It had, you know, the top of the line was the, it had had like multiples of everything. It was 
was 24 valve V6 twin turbo, all wheel drive, four wheel steering. I mean, it's just was low. It was like a, a affordable, almost like a, dare I say, an affordable supercar at the time for for the price of that car and what you were getting. There was a ton of stuff on that that car, and it was a fast, good looking car. So to your point, it was a fast, good looking car, and I think it's really got a bad rap. And what I mean by that is, it just never seemed like somebody jumped on that bandwagon. You know, the the Stealth or the Mitsubishi G- GT. Uh, 3000. Now, let me give you some comparison. So, for example, at the same time frame, a car that got a lot of press at the same time as this one that was still spinning on the turntables was the Viper. So there was the Viper, and I'm telling you, when you saw a Mitsubishi 3000 spinning on the turntable at the Chicago Auto Show for the first time, I mean, it looked like a concept car it did, that yeah. you could buy. Yeah. And it just never seemed to really get the... You know, when you, you know, I mean, nobody sits around talking about, you know, oh, Dodge Viper, Dodge Viper. Yeah, you you hear people talking about that, but you don't, or, you know, Corvette or Mustang. I think one reason because Mitsubishi was never a a real mainstream in the public's eye uh, car manufacturer. I mean, you know, people think of Three Diamonds Tuna or Mandarin Orange Slices when they think of Mitsubishi, and they don't necessarily, necessarily always think about the cars that they made, they made some good cars. I mean, they still make cars today, but you, you know, I can barely even, I think the outlander or whatever is their, is their car. I can't remember what, what they make now. Cause they only make, or at least here in the States only sell SUV uh, crossovers. But the 3000 GT was a, a very, very cool car. And now in the last couple years, I've noticed that there is increased interest in the collector community for those cars and the stealth, you know, the, it's cousins. Um, I, agree. I was at a, a, a couple of car shows last, last year where a couple of these showed up. They weren't 3000 GTs necessarily. I think one was a stealth and one was a lower end 3000 GT. So it didn't have the all wheel drive and everything, but people are, are noticing these cars and they're kind of, they didn't sell in big numbers. So they're, they're hard. Like you said, they're hard to find, especially in good condition. So, uh, that's also driving the market at this point, too, because if you want one, you might be in competition with one or two other people, but there's so few out there that um, it's going to take some doing to, to find one. But I think it's it's kind of an underrated car, I would think. I would think that's definitely a car to, to watch for. I don't make too many predictions here and there on the on the program, but I will say that I think that's a car that you'll see getting more attention, especially the fully loaded uh, all-wheel drive, four-wheel steering, twin-turbo versions of it. Definitely a cool car. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, you know, I have been looking. First of all, I, I from when I seen the car on the turntable to today, I always like to look at that car. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, doing this YouTube car channel that I that I have, I look for cars that not only, you know, I think people will find interesting. But I look for cars that I like that I think are interesting. Sure. And this is a car that I've always thought is interesting and would love to. And, and my my selection process is I'd like to find one that's stock, but I can't find one at all. Yeah. I mean, the only one I've seen probably in the last, gosh, I want to say six years, was a beat-up one in a Walmart parking lot <laughs> by my house. Yeah. I mean, and I, I looked at it and I was like, this thing is just so badly tortured that I wouldn't feel comfortable videoing it because 
it's just not all there. Well, well it's not but, what you do, though, too. You don't video badly tortured cars on your channel. Yeah, you so, you go for the cream of the crop, which is good. But, yeah, if a guy like you can't find one, then, you know, you're, you're definitely right in what you're saying, that, you know, you, they're hard to find. They really are. I haven't done a search for one recently, but this one popped up on, on Bring a Trailer. I'm like, okay, well, there, there you go. Because, and this one wasn't even a high-end one. And I thought 5100 is a good price for, yeah. for well, that. They were, yeah, they were around from 1990 to 2000. Yeah. Wow. And 10 years. The, yeah, and the, which you don't think. And the Stealth was around from 1990 to 96. Okay. So this and was the, the end fact, of the line then on this one Well, 96. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Stealth came out right around the same time that the Viper was spinning on the turntable, I mean, there's no question that the Viper was the top dog, but the Mitsubishi sitting next to a Viper back in that time frame, uh, you know, looked, you know, very futuristic, mm -hmm. and yet, for some reason, and I, I think as I'm speaking to you, I'm thinking of the reason more, I guess it's coming to mind, is, you know, just the, the, the horsepower. Yeah, you know, it it didn't you know it didn't have as much horsepower. Now it still did have pretty decent horsepower, um, but it wasn't you know it wasn't being you know. I want to say it was something like, and I, I this is just off the top of my mind. It wasn't a ton, but I want to say it was something like two hundred and twenty-five or two fifty. It wasn't or yeah. three hundred maybe. I I don't know where it was, but it was somewhere in that range. It wasn't like four hundred or anything like that. No, no, it wasn't crazy. Well, I mean, the Viper was 400 when it first Yeah, so I think this was, yeah, this might have been yeah. 300, but I, I, even that sounds kind of high back no, in the I, day. Yeah, I don't even think it was 300 at the time. I'm, I'll try to, uh, uh, you know, find some details on that. But, um, you know, yeah, really, uh, I guess uh, a lot like the Dodge Pro or the Plymouth Prowler, you know, high on style, low on performance. Yeah. And, and, and not that the car wasn't all-wheel drive, and not that there wasn't a, uh, uh, a you know a turbo version. There was a turbocharged V6 version. Of, you know, so so they tried to do some things. Um, you know, I, I'm just looking at some numbers right now uh, uh, while we're talking. I think it said something like the quarter mile time was a 13.9. That's not bad in ninety in the in the 90s. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me get you. I got some horsepower numbers here. Oh, I'm still a little surprised that the the twin turbo actually had 300 horsepower. It did. Horsepower. Okay, 300. Yeah. That, that's, that's and that's that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that is good back then. So yeah, that's an impressive car, and I'm glad that we both uh, both think that it's uh, something that's that's you know video worthy for you and just interesting for me. Yeah. Definitely. If you like the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, be sure to check out some of the other fine programs that are available on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, like the program Minutia Men. It's an OPI show. It's from Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern. They're consumers of worthless information, and each week they share their newest worthless information in the podcast, hence the name Minutia Men. You can go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts to search for Radio Misfits and you'll find all the fine Radio Misfits podcasts there, including this podcast, the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with um, Lou Costable. And Lou, this was uh, something that uh, came in. Uh, I'm a subscriber to the uh, magazine Hemmings Classic Car 
And we've talked about this section before on the program. They have a a section every month called Reminiscing where uh, somebody, a subscriber, writes in and just kind of talks about things that they remember from back in the day. And this came from a gentleman named Bill Weiss in Prescott, Arizona. And uh, on the outline that uh, I have for the show that you and me see, I wrote down Old Car Wisdoms, Urban Legends, aphorisms, tall tales, etc. And uh, this was a <laughs> this was a column that uh, this guy sent in from uh talking about uh back in the day with his his dad in the 40s and 50s and some of the things that his dad used to say were things like son a big car holds the road better than a small car. And um, that's the kind of things that they, you know, thought of back then. You know, it followed, don't don't you see that a car with a lot of mass, such as a Buick, Chrysler, Cadillac, or Lincoln, would be planted real solid on the road, whereas a little car like a Chevy, Ford, or Plymouth would wander all around. Um, some of the other, um, I, I kind of call these aphorisms as much as just wisdom, but it says, they built a carburetor that could let a Lincoln get 40 miles a gallon, but the oil companies bought it for a million bucks and that's like the famous you know the million mile carb or the million uh or not million but the hundred mile a gallon carburetor that people have talked about in the way they're always in conspiracy with the oil companies and things like that if they put the same rubber from the indy 500 tires into passenger tires you could go around the clock and still have tread and never get a flat i'm not (laughs) exactly sure that one came from but um Body by Fisher is the best because it never rusts. Well, we, we know that not to be true. You have to watch the rocker panels on Chrysler products. How are the rockers on your uh, Viper, Lou? Are they, are they solid? Oh, very solid. Oldsmobiles run great for 40,000 miles. As soon as they, they hit 40,001, they fall apart. And that kind of goes along with uh, my friend... Um, and uh, fellow Car Guys Report contributor Bill Kubik, he's our Buick specialist. He's been on the show a couple of times, and he always he's not a Ford guy. He's a GM guy, and he said that uh, once or twice in his family's history, whether it was a cousin or somebody, had a Ford, and, and Bill always says, you have to do a spring tune-up and a fall tune-up on those cars, and I'm not exactly sure why, but he thinks that that's what you had to do, so... I hope uh, Bill will listen to this episode and get a laugh of me making fun of him. I know a guy, he bought a new caddy and drove it from one end of the Jersey Turnpike to the other at a steady 110 miles an hour. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, and then uh, uh, three more um, aphorisms, I guess, from uh, this uh, contributor to Hemming's Classic Car. Ford builds the best station wagons. And uh, that may be true to some extent because they I know they kind of had some pretty nice uh, station wagons in the in the 60s. Bardal works on GM cars, but Marvel Mistroyal is better for Chrysler products. And uh, Bardal is another one of those brands, kind of like a Marvel Mistroyal. It's an upper valve uh, lubricant that 
people put in their gas or their oil. And, and actually, Marvel Mystery Oil, you can still buy. I don't know what Bardell products are still available. Marvel Mystery Oil, you can still buy, and it actually does have some legitimate uh, purposes, too, uh, uses for it. GM paid off Eisenhower to ride in Cadillacs. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not, because um, Harry Truman had a Packard limo uh, and then a s- succession of Series 75 Fleetwoods. But um, I don't know if that's true about uh, Eisenhower getting paid off to ride in a Cadillac. But do you remember any um, any aphorisms uh, or wisdoms that uh, your dad ever said about cars? I can't really come, come up with anything that, that my dad ever talked about as far as, you know, son... You have to get this because it's the only thing that's good. I, I don't really remember that. Did, did you, were you ever treated to such uh, to such uh, topics uh, as a kid, Lou? My my dad had no interest in cars whatsoever, other than the fact that they got you from spot A to mm. spot B. He gave me all kinds of little chunks of wisdom, but uh, not, <laughs> but that not, wasn't nothing, one of them, right? Nothing comes to mind in the car, but I will say to his credit, um, very conservative, very much going to change his own oil, wants to figure out exactly how the engine works so in case anything possibly went wrong on it, you know, he would be the first guy to take the wrench out and want to wrench on it and figure it out rather than bring it to a mechanic. Because if there was, for my dad, if there was any way to save a buck. (laughs) Yeah, then he would do it. Yeah, that's that's, my dad was like that too. That's the direction he was going to head in. You know, he wanted to know how to... Uh, take care of everything, and uh, so he was more into the saving a buck uh, element of it than uh, giving me any... uh philosophy yeah uh, my dad was like that too it's just like i remember at one point he was even thinking like you know we're gonna need a new roof on the house pretty soon It, it can't be that hard to put a roof on the house but luckily, my mom talked him out of wanting to, to re-roof the house, which was very yeah. smart on her end. But it's like, yeah, I mean, where do you draw the line sometimes, you know? I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> but uh, just I, I got a kick out of those because it is the kind of stuff that, you know, you'll hear at car shows, too. You'll be talking to people, and, they, and they'll, they'll say, like, you know, I had that 1949 Caddy, and that thing, you know, I didn't change the oil once in that thing, and I never had any problems. And, you know, just hear stories like that. And it's just all part of the uh, of the car game, I guess, that uh, that uh, we're all into here as Car Guys on Car Guys Report. We would like you to stay home and listen to OPI shows. You'll be saving the world at the same time. And also while you're at home, wash your hands. That comes from our producer, Tony Lasano. Lou, we've got one more topic to talk about before we get to the Car Guys Report guessing game. And you see, there's a reason, I think, why we put the Car Guys Report guessing game at the end of the show, because that way we make people listen to the entire show, because they really just want to hear about the Car Guys guessing game and see how bad... I do on it, but wanted to talk. Sure. Yeah, sure. wanted they to get to play the game themselves. I, they get to figure out how well they. There play. you go. See, um, this came from a Euro-based publication called Classic and Sports Car that I found online. So some of this stuff doesn't make sense to us because I think some of it was marketed in in um, Europe back in the day in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. This was a selection of wacky. They called them car accessories and i wouldn't say that everything is a car accessory here wacky or forgotten car accessories and this is edited from my my standpoint some of it was was pretty funny some of it was um you know predictable but anyway um i'll just start going down the list one was called a folding garage it was actually a like a portable canvas tent 
that uh, I guess you would either keep at your house or maybe in your trunk. And if you wanted to uh, protect your car uh, where it was parked, you would uh, bring this thing out and uh, erect it and park your car in it. Uh, Not quite the same as those plastic bubbles you can store your car in where they they filter the air and things like that, but maybe an early forerunner to that. I think I remember these back in the day, maybe in a J.C. Whitney catalog at one point, a plastic rear window defogger. I think it was a piece of clear plastic that you would somehow affix to the inside of the rear window, and it would somehow supposedly prevent that part where the plastic was affixed to from getting fogged up or iced up or something like that. Uh, Another one, this one was hilarious. I think this was from the 30s or 40s. dash-mounted cigarette dispenser that would actually dispense pre-lit cigarettes. And I think somehow you press a, I think you press a button on it somehow, and it lights the cigarette and kind of like drops it into a tray or something. I'm like, gee, that sounds safe. <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Uh, external sun visors. Uh, now, um, I have a, a two asides here. Uh, we've all seen those on a lot of like 40s and, and early 50s cars, these giant sun visors that come off the front of the, the roof and they extend, almost seems like they extend like a foot or so. Um, my dad actually way back in the day uh, actually worked, I don't know if it was a summer job or something like that when he was in school, but he actually worked for a factory in Chicago that produced those external sun visors. That's all I know about it. I don't know any other details, but... I remember him telling me that. And then uh, my Volvo buddy, Gordy, who has three uh, vintage 1950s Volvos, two 444s and a 544, for his 1954 444 Volvo, he purchased a uh, external sun visor that was a... Um, a correct dealer accessory back in the day. And you could get it either in red or blue um, tinted plastic and he got the blue one so it's 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 not unlike a a green tinted uh, uh poker player's visor that you would wear when you're playing poker he's got the blue tinted external sun visor which actually looks pretty cool on his car have you ever had a car with one of those uh, sun visors on it uh? um n- nothing nothing is uh crazy as what you're talking about although i will say I was just riding in a a 66 Ford Country Wagon Okay, that had visors on the outside of the four doors. Yeah, I've seen those. Were they uh, aluminum uh, or stainless? They were were aluminum. Yeah. So they were stainless, almost like a gutter hanging off the roof. Yeah. And, um, yeah, somewhat of a sun visor, I guess you'll call it. And a, um, I can't really call it a wind deflector uh, because it was more uh, if I stuck my arm out the car and it was raining to, you know, I mean, if there was no wind and you were standing still, it would probably save my arm. But I other think, than that, it had no value whatsoever. Yeah, because they still make those those side window deflectors uh, out of like Lexan plastic because I had them on one of my cars because a friend of mine was really into those and he gave me a pair 
Um, I know the modern ones are designed so you can actually crack a window while it's still raining and you're not going to get water in. I don't know. I, I know exactly the ones you're talking about on the on the on the station wagon, and I don't know if those were also supposedly designed to enable you to have a window down with while it was still raining outside or not. I'm not sure, but um, how did you happen to be in a '63 Ford wagon? Pray tell. Well, let's go back a second. Also, on the back end of the car, on the sides, let's say the quarter panel, yeah. it was venting for it to wrap around the back post to hit the window. Yep, I've seen those, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that it takes off any dust or yeah. anything, almost a forced air back end. So uh, it happened to be uh, the fire chiefs. Um, Kind of, a, I'll give you a little side story here. The fire chief's uh, uh, '66 wagon. So, I was at Volo Auto Museum, and I talked to them because they said that they were doing some, you know, cleaning of their location, and you know, painting floors, things like that, to upgrade the um, displays. And I said, well, if you're going to have the, uh, you know, buildings open, then that means you're probably going to move cars out. And if you're going to move cars out, why don't we do some videos? And they said, yeah, that's a great idea. So uh, I walked through their buildings, uh, which are, if you've never been to Volo Auto Museum, go to Volo Auto Museum from a family perspective. They've got great exhibits, everything from 50s boats to a carousel indoors to uh, obviously vehicles. They have a good snowmobile selection and a good scooter uh, selection, too. The scooters are awesome. Yeah, and they have some kind of a world, you know, historical war area of uh, trinkets and memorabilia and tanks and things like this are just unbelievable. Uh, So it's really a place to bring the family, a very family-friendly. Anyway, my point is, so I spoke to one of the grand brothers, uh, Jay, who's in charge of sales, and uh, I said, can I pick the cars that we're going to take today? And I said, I'll pick ones that are, you know, available close to the doors, and you just make sure it starts. He goes, well, they all start. I said, okay, great. So uh, one of them that I picked was a 66 Ford uh, wagon that was country squire. So yeah, so so when we took it out, it just so happened that there was a gentleman named Bill <laughs> who was having a birthday party, and there was a sign outside on the fence that says, <laughs> "If you go by and honk, Bill will drink." <laughs> well, that's all I needed to see <laughs> with, with Jay, Jay and I. And I said, "Jay, I said, wait a minute, turn this thing around." I said, "Let's fire this thing up." So we got the sirens blasting, the light on top is blasting, and I think we purposely uh, put Bill into a drinking coma. Yeah, no kidding. All of the noise that we uh, we caused right there. But uh, I'll tell you, he'll have a birthday. He won't remember. Won't forget. Uh, well, he might. He might forget it, right? <laughs> Everybody will take pictures though and tell him about it and show him that. So, yeah, so that was a good time, and it's, uh, that, that's one that's on the channel. Cool. Good. Sounds good. Getting back to our uh, car accessories uh, for back in the day, I'll kind of go through the rest of the list a little quick just because some of them are still kind of lame. I don't really consider some of these to be accessories, but there's one thing I wanted to finish up with and have a little bit of fun with. But car record players actually had these in the 50s where you actually had an actual turntable accessory in your car and i know that they they turned a really i think they turned it like 16 and two-thirds rpm or something like that a very slow speed i just don't know how they ever got the shock absorption working because i just think those things would skip around like anything but not one of the better ideas yeah i'd like to jump in on that one there are a few cars on the channel there's a 60 fury that has that i think there's a a fire dome desoto that has one of those i think you're right it's like 16 and a quarter now 
understand that that's going, the revolutions per minute is very slow, but you're also in a floating boat. Yeah. Cars, so there's you know you'll go over railroad tracks and won't realize it because the shocks are just jumping up and down inside the wheel wells, and uh, you're still floating right along. So uh, that is one of the ways they do it. I do have an accessory for you that just came to mind that's pretty unique. Okay, the dictaphone. Uh, you know they had that. Um, well, I know Chrysler with the Imperial. They had the mobile. Um, uh, they had an option package in like the late. We talked about this before on the show. It was the mobile director option, and you could actually. I've never seen one in person, but what it what it did was it was the the two door Imperial Coupe, which was Chrysler's highest end at the time because Imperial was still its own mark, and the passenger seat could be rotated 180 degrees so it would face the back seat where the uh, executive would be sitting and it had a fold down table and a and a gooseneck lamp and it was designed to have either like a dictaphone or a or a typewriter there and the secretary would be sitting in the in the passenger seat facing the the uh the ceo or whoever's in the riding in the back and it's kind of along those lines i think because how else would you use a dictaphone in a car yeah, one of the cars that that there is a dictaphone on, which is kind of an interesting car to to have a dictaphone on, is a uh, challenge, uh, an original Challenger with a Hemi in it. So yeah. <laughs> you're nothing like a Hemi, and they, uh, I think that even has a four speed. Wow, They're trying to do dictaphone all at the same time. That's hilarious. That's yeah, a, a couple of other audio related things: the uh, external eight track or cassette players. Of course, those were actually still available into the 70s 80s and even 90s i think car picnic sets the picture i get for that still viable uh, i think of the classic uh, mg roadster or uh, um some kind of car that's got a luggage rack on the trunk and you'd have the picnic set plopped on the back there driving gloves i don't really consider it to be a car accessory it's more of a personal accessory but i used to wear driving gloves uh back in the 80s when i was uh, doing a lot of my rallying and and uh, auto crossing car vacuums of course are still viable the honda odyssey minivan has a built-in central vac system in this day and age and then the last thing i wanted to talk about was the early car radio telephones pre-cellular uh canon uh, I watch, as you know, Lou, I'm a big uh, 70s, 60s, and 70s uh, detective cop show um, fan, and partly because I just like seeing the cars. And in the, in the show Canon with uh, William Conrad, he had a Motorola MTS uh, car radio telephone. And the classic is when he'd be driving, he'd pick up the phone and go, Mobile operator, this is 213-191-9221. That was his number. And he'd tell the mobile operator that he wants, you know, whatever number, and they'd dial it for him. Although he could make a, a call f- himself, but you never saw him because he'd be, always be in motion. So he'd be calling the operator, telling, him, telling them to make the uh, call. And when his car was parked and he'd get a phone call, the horn would start honking. So he'd be like eating lunch and he'd walk out and pick up the phone. So it's just a classic. But 213-191-9221 was his number in the show. So 
I don't know. I don't know what would happen if you dial that number now, but just uh, something I wanted to have a little bit of fun with uh, with Frank Cannon, and he's the one that always drove the Lincoln Mark III in the first uh, year of the series, and then he graduated to uh, three different uh, Lincoln Continental Mark IVs. All of them were light blue with a dark blue vinyl top and variations on red interior. Although he had one Mark IV that had, I believe, a, a dark navy interior, then he had one with a red velour interior and one with red leather interior. So. Cannon, the fat detective, moved out in style. That's all I have to say. If you like uh, listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we certainly hope that you do. Please subscribe to us while you're listening to us. Uh, You'll get an automatic push notification anytime there's new content, which is once a week. And if you're wondering, well, oh, I'd love to, but where do you get the podcast again? Well, you can go to radiomisfits.com. You can search directly for us on Google, The Car Guys Report, and you can also get us on Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We are basically everywhere. Any podcast you get from the Radio Misfits Podcast Network is totally free, and it's listening on your own terms, whether you're listening on your laptop, your desktop, your phone, your tablet, Whatever, wherever, it's listening on your own terms. You can fast forward, rewind, replay, delete, go back and re-listen. You can do anything you want. That's what podcasting is all about. And when you do, you can listen to us. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. We're at the point in the show where we like to play the My Car Story guessing game. So take it away, Lou. So, Mark, the guessing game is played simply this way. I have a YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou, and there are almost 1,500 cars videoed on the channel. And I go back a little bit in time, and I pick three cars that were videoed in that or that were in that week. And then by year, so the oldest one first, I go through and give those to Mark, and we guess what has the most views of the video. So, in particular, um, the ones I'm going to do today, uh, we're going to go uh, around the horn here. We're going to have three different uh, cars, and you can guess along, too. So the oldest one, the first one, is a 1959, which is interesting because I was just riding in a different one, but a 1959 Ford Fairlane 500 Galaxy Convertible hmm. in white. Okay. <laughs> the one I was riding in actually had the, uh, what do they call it, Sunliner. Yeah, the the retractable hardtop. The retractable hard Yeah, this but this one, one is not, though. Yeah, okay. This one's a convertible. So 1959 Ford Fairlane 500 Galaxy convertible in white and engine sounds. Number two, the rare 1969 Camaro ZL1, number 12 of, I believe, the less than 70 produced. Wow. With a 427 yeah. aluminum block. Yeah, aluminum engine. block, yeah. Wow. And That's a rare three, car. What color was that? Yeah. It was blue. Blue, yeah, okay. And number three is the 2018 Dodge Challenger Hellcat Hearst Heritage by GSS Edition and Engine Sound. So uh, you can video these same cars and come up with different numbers that would be uh, the views, but um, based on views, which one had the most views of those three? The 59 Ford Fairlane 500 Galaxy Convertible in white, the rare 1969 Camaro ZL1, and the Dodge Char- uh, Charger Hellcat Hearst Heritage Edition. Now, I will say this time, sometimes the views are pretty close. This time we have a widespread in views. So really? someone was the clear winner, someone was the clear loser. 
I'm going to go with the just because of the I know rarity always doesn't mean views, but I think that the Camaro is just so awesome. I'm going to go with that as number one. The 59 Ford convertible two and the um, 2018 uh, Chrysler number three. Well, your number three pick was in the right spot. Okay. It only had 2,089 views. However, the number one winner with 13,793 views was the Ford Fairlane 500. And right in the middle at 5,667 views was the Camaro Camaro ZL1, uh, number 12 of those that have been built. Because I was thinking being white, it's just, I mean, it's just nothing that would make that car really stand out. I mean, nothing against the the vehicle itself, but I I know that a lot of people tend to gravitate towards color with certain cars and a a convertible you think would be a little more flashy. Like if it was aqua blue with a gold and aqua interior, then it might, I would think, have had the most views of being white. It just seems a little plain Jane. Well, that's the fun part of the. Oh, I just I just shredded my uh, list. That, that's the uh, that's the shredder in the background after Mark. Boy, you get rid of it that quickly, huh? I get rid of them. Uh, you know, Why? That, that, that's the interesting thing with the uh, with the views is. Transparently, there is no rhyme or reason. There's cars that I put on the channel sometimes that I think um, will have minimal interest, and they get maximum interest. Yeah. And other cars, I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't have probably just videoed this, um, and it, it'll do great. So, uh, uh, what would be something that I would video with it? Some. Let's give an example. So, let's say that there's a gentleman that I meet or a woman, and they have four cars. And of the four cars, the one is like that 69, you know, rare car that I, that's the one I really wanted to video. That was the number one car. I want to go see this person. And then they'll share with me. They'll go, oh, yeah, Lou, but we have a, a 78 Buick Regal Sport Coupe. And yeah. I think, eh, that's okay. <laughs> but what happens is they just dote on the thing. They yeah. Just, oh, my gosh, I love my Buick. It's Everybody waves to me. when, I, And I'm like, oh, my God, you just can't stop talking about this Buick. Okay, all right, okay, we'll video the Buick. I got it. Right? Huh. <laughs> and I video it, and, of course, that's the one that took all the views in the 69 rare Camaro with yeah, the 427 yeah. aluminum engine that me and Mark are both giddy about. You know, it comes in the middle, right? So, well, just I mean, kudos to you though for for finding that uh, that Camaro though, because those are really rare and very very uh, collectible. Yeah, well, I mean, when um, uh, the search is on, I mean, when I'm when I'm out there, I'm definitely looking for the unique. I'm definitely looking for the something that uh, is well done. Uh, I'm looking for something with a good story. I can have two out of three of those, meaning if the car is really well done and the story is just okay, uh, that's that's okay too. But, uh, yeah, when you can get really good car uh, and uh, really good, you know, uh, story behind it, I mean, it, it is it is pretty fascinating. I'm not just saying that just because it's my channel. I'm just saying that, you know, that's why we read Car and Driver. That's why we, you know, uh, watch Jay Leno's Garage. That's why we watch other people on YouTube because we're, we're you know, interested in the car that they have and, and some details on it. 
Cool. And it's uh, My Car Story with Lou on YouTube. You can check it out. 1,500-plus car videos, over 70,000 subscribers. Lou does a, a great job with his YouTube yeah, channel. That. All right. I think we're at 78,000. Okay, uh, 78. There you go. It, it gets higher every time. So. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be at 78, actually, I think, today. Awesome. So, good. Yeah. Good. So when when this episode comes out and they see that we're at 80, you know, they'll think, okay, you know, how long ago was this? So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Huh. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, our man in the field, Roger Rexrode, returns to talk about cars that define a decade. It's part one of a special two-part episode. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, ride along with us here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly do appreciate having you along for the ride. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Asano with uh, OpiShows.com. Opie is hippo, spelled backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits Great Talk Radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place and that would be RadioMisfits.com This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19 Proceeding with a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. A doughy looter needs a workout. Social distancing shoes. A Missouri pothead with a great name. My brush with a celebrity. And our interview with New York Times bestseller, Sun-Times columnist, thinker, Neil Steinberg. <laughs> All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. Tony Lasano Podcast and Opi Production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. RadioMisfits.com. On this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick, big news, Adam. I'm giddy. The English Premier League is back. We've got games galore. I don't know how I'm going to work my schedule around all these games in the next 10 days, but we're looking forward to it. So. Lots of lots of matches to watch. And lots of fun to listen to here. We'll be giggling with glee on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Opi Show at Tony Lasano Podcast Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we welcome back our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, for a special two-part episode called Cars That Define a Decade. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, for this very special two-part episode of The Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>